I'm always amazed at how God lines things up. Um, when we planned the, the Fundamentals of the Faith class months ago, and I was looking at, at uh, not knowing how far I was going to be getting in Romans, I had no idea that those two, two lessons and passages would line up the same day. But if you, are, um, if you heard first hour, this is going to augment that. And if you're here, uh, if you're coming to second hour, this will be introduction to it. And that is we're going to be looking at the subject of prayer. Now, as we're talking about this, one of the things we're going to do in the future when we do Fundamentals of the Faith is, is provide you uh, with the notebook. There's a series of lessons that you go through. I think we get a lot more out of it if you're doing the homework before that. I'm just highlighting what the lesson that you would have gone through with uh, this um, uh, study would be. So... I want to encourage you, if you want, to get a hold of the Fundamentals of the Faith Notebook. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it Grace, Grace to You or um, um, even Grace Church and find it. It's a very helpful study to be going through. We're talking this morning about prayer. Now, I've shared this in uh, probably three years ago a little bit. And I want to share it again. And I'm not being juvenile, but I'm, I'm going to make a point. Several years ago, I was in a bookstore in a Barnes & Noble and was looking at the bestsellers and found this little book, Children's Letters to God. I want to read you some of these prayers to God, and I'm doing so for a reason. What I want you to do, this is not just for um, gratuitous ahs, you know, where we go, oh. What I want you to do is listen to the, the unashamed honesty in these little children as they're praying. I've marked a few that I want to show you. Dear God, is it true that my father won't get to heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? That's a good question. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? Dear God, who draws the lines around the countries? I love that one. Dear God, uh, no, here it is. Dear God, I went to church, I went to wedding. Let me say, say it again. I went to this wedding and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? Just a couple more. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. I like that. <laughs> Dear God, please put another holiday in between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there right now. I like that. Um, please send me a pony. I've never asked for anything before. You can look it up. <laughs> Dear God, if we come back as something, please don't let me come back as Jennifer Horton because I hate her. Oh. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to another summer camp this year. Just a few more here. Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. I like that. Dear God, I like the story. Uh, no, here it is. Dear God, if you watch in church on Sunday, I will show you my new shoes. Mickey said that. God, I would like to live 900 years like that dude in the Bible. Okay? I like this. Dear God, we read that Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school, they said you did it. So I bet he stole your idea. 
I like this. Dear God, it's great the way you always get the stars in the right places every night. This is really sweet. Dear God, I didn't think that orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was cool. Now what I love about these prayers is that there is an unfiltered honesty about them. What I love about this little example is that these these children don't know how to pray yet. You know what I mean by that? They don't know how to get all the language in there. All they know how to do is talk to God, which is the essence of what prayer is. You're, you're talking to God. You're unburdening your heart. The purpose of prayer is to express our submission and sovereign, to God's sovereignty and to God's person, to trust in his faithfulness, to bring him our requests. Prayer is the means by which we express all that's in our hearts to our loving and wise heavenly Father. We have access, according to Hebrews 10, we have access to God. He has invited us into the holy of holies, the dividing wall is gone. The shroud has been rent. We, there, there, there's nothing, nothing between, the veil rather has been rent. There's nothing between us and the holiest holy of God. We have no barriers. And the way we access that is not only through the blood of Christ in our salvation. We access that also by simply talking to God who's invited us to converse with him. Let's talk a little bit about the nature of prayer. For a believer... Prayer is a learning experience that has to be developed into a spiritual discipline. The only record we have, now I'm sure the disciples asked Jesus lots of questions, asked him for lots of lessons. The only one that the Holy Spirit chose to record for us, to canonize, is when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Why would they ask Jesus to teach them to pray? Ever thought about that? It had to be because they had heard him pray over and over and recognized the way he spoke to his father had substantial differences than the way they spoke to God. There was a massive difference. There was a, a different kind of approach. Luke 11, 1, teach us to pray. Now we'll find out in the next hour if you stick around and you found out first hour if you were here that we have assistance in our prayers, which is the Holy Spirit. I won't say too much about that. We've already studied that in the first hour. We'll come back to it. We have an assistant and assistance in our praying and in our prayers, namely in the Holy Spirit. In light of that, uh, what do we do when we're not sure what to pray for? Paul says, just come and pray. But he also says you need to come to the end of yourself where you recognize, this will be Romans 8, 8.26, you recognize that you have come to a place where you don't know how to pray as you should. Let me say again, or you'll hear it again second hour. If you haven't gotten to the place in your prayer life where you just come to the end of yourself and you have needs and desires and requests and wants and you don't even know how to articulate those, they're just groanings of, of help, that's a good place to be. Because the Holy Spirit gladly and intuitively and intentionally picks up our prayer from there. Prayer is simply communicating with God. The Bible tells us that God is actually very interested in our prayers. You know, think about God's interest in us talking to him. All of us, I hope all of us, most of us have worked in the four or five-year-old Sunday school class. And for the first 10 minutes, we're kind of interested in what they say. And then there's usually that kid, it was usually mine, who wants to tell you not only everything that they thought 
or think, but everything that they might think, everything their parents thinks, everything that the dog thinks. They just, they just, and you find yourself sometimes going, just, do you know God never does that to us? He never says, okay, I'm dealing with Afghanistan right now. Can you just kind of hold that about about, uh, praying for your steak? He never wearies of us coming to him. What an amazing thought that is. In fact, he would be happy if we came to him all the time about everything. We'll study in a minute. Praying at all times. Pray without ceasing. God is interested in what we have to say to him. That's remarkable to me. I'm not even interested in what I have to say most of the time. Psalm 34 verse 15 says, his eyes are toward the righteous and his ears open to their cry. What a great guy. His ear is always inclined to hear what we have to say. David brought his complaints before God in Psalm 142. God received them. Obviously Hebrews 416, let us draw near to God with confidence to the throne of grace. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Um, I was uh, in the room just in this last year with a, um, a nationally known theologian, a very, very public uh, believer who's a, one of my heroes in the faith, great preacher. And I, I remember us, we were in a group of people around a table and I I just wanted to listen to him talk. I didn't have any desire to, to say anything stupid, um, um, which is usually what I do in those situations. And so he was talking. Well, I, finally, he began asking us questions. And we would try to get him back off subject so we could ask him questions. But he was so interested in us that it forced us to talk to him about us. That's just a guy. God is interested in us Listen, he's interested in our needs. He's desirous to hear our wants. First Timothy 5, 1 Peter 5 tells us to cast all our anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. At the same time, we have to be careful. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 says, don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thought. Let your words be few. In the context is before God. In other words, don't just come to God and um, uh, treat it nonchalantly. We can come to him all the time, every time, about everything, and yet don't be so hasty to come and have unthought out prayers. Just emoting and letting bad theology be reflected to the great theologian. And we should expect that comfort. Like I said, First Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Prayer is effective. It changes situations and people. We are encouraged to pray, expecting results. I'm anticipating in a few minutes when we get to the Q&A that someone's gonna say, how does our prayer work out with God's providence and sovereignty? Can I give you a heads up? I don't know. Except he's, he says he's providential and sovereign over everything. Not even a bird can die without his knowledge and sovereignty. You can't even lose a hair down the drain without his sovereignty. It says he has all of our hairs counted, not, I mean numbered, not just counted. He knows the number, 438, 
8.36. There goes 5.17 down the drain. He has them all numbered. Now, for some, that's an easier task than others. I understand that. He asks us to pray for things so that he can respond. Without trying to figure out providence and mystery, can you just bathe in that for a second, bask in that? He says, ask me to exercise my sovereign power over this world. Now we understand why we're to pray according to his will, right? He says, ask me to exercise my power over the world. But if we ask him to exercise his power in ways that are not consistent with his will, then that's a problem. One of the things that um, uh, I often think about is praying for, for older saints who are in the last season of their, their lives with great struggles and great physical turmoil and trial or someone who's on, on, on a, even a, a, their deathbed with, with a terminal disease. How do you pray? For example, would it be okay to pray, Lord, please heal and bring back to health? Would that be an okay prayer? I think so. I've certainly prayed that. But would it also be equally okay to say, Lord, comfort and deliver them from this world and bring them into your heavenly kingdom where they'll be comforted forever? Is, is that okay, a believer? So as we'll look at in the next hour, you know, sometimes we don't know what to pray. We just express our heart to God and the Spirit of God will translate that into praying according to God's will. Um. Acts chapter 12, you see this. They were praying for Peter who was imprisoned. And in Acts 12, 7, the angel of the Lord suddenly appeared. A light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up. I love that. Peter was so confident in God's uh, comfort and God's providence that he was in jail on execution watch. And he was so sleepy, the angel had to kick him to wake him up. Slept pretty well. So he struck Peter's side. I guess he hit him. He didn't kick him. Struck Peter's side and said, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. The people prayed. The angel came. Peter was delivered. Besides answers, God also uh, grants us something in prayer that's incredible. It says, when we pray, when we submit our request to God, remember Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart. So even the act of praying puts us in the presence of God where peace is discovered and enjoyed. Several years ago, I um, was in North Carolina for a conference. A former intern of mine, his name was Will Thomas, was, um, was there. Uh, he had, um, uh, he was probably at the time in his mid-30s had a very aggressive uh, cancer in his uh, colon and um, had, had several surgeries. And at that point, they, they said, we, we don't know which way this is gonna go. It was right on the bubble of, has this metastasized or not? And he was at Duke University Hospital, one of the best in the country. And, and he asked uh, a friend of mine, Daniel and I, and Randy, actually Daniel, Randy and I, he said, would you guys come down to the hospital and pray with me and pray for me? We said, sure, of course. Who says no to that? But then he said this in his email. He said, I know you're coming. Would you come with these other guys and pray? He said, 
According to James 5, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And because I think you're a righteous man, I want you to come and pray with me. Talk about a cleansing moment in your soul. When someone says, I want you to pray for me because I believe you are pursuing righteousness. Wow. I think that was the most sensitive week I can remember in addressing my sin and wanting to be holy because if James 5 is right, and it is, and God answers the prayer of those who are righteous, and he does, how important is our pursuit of godliness in coordination with what we pray for? I was glad there were two other guys coming to pray that day as well. Let's talk about praying itself. Um, Let me admit to you, I don't pray enough. I don't pray long enough. I don't pray deep enough. I don't pray well enough. I don't pray for enough people. I don't pray for enough things. And I think no matter how long I live, I would probably say that. You're never going to get to a place when you say, my prayer got it it wired. Because if you have the time to say that, then you haven't prayed without ceasing, so you've sinned in that moment. So you're never gonna get to the place where you, you are totally satisfied with your prayer life. But we ought to be growing, growing in our practice of prayer. God encourages over and encourages us over and over in the Bible to um, persevere in prayer. Persevere means it's something you have to stick with and stay under. In Luke eighteen one, the disciples were taught that they should always pray. And then he says this, and not lose heart. I think that's significant in Luke eighteen. Always pray and don't lose heart. Why would he say that? Because he understood Jesus did that losing heart was a possibility. That's why he said, don't, don't lose heart. Why do we lose heart? We don't see immediate answers. We don't see the answers that we like. What I think happens most of the time, in my experience, what happens most of the time is that prayers are rarely, unless it's an immediate situation, are rarely answered in an hour. And that's because Jesus teaches us to persevere in prayer. He wants us to be that. Remember the, the, the woman who kept knocking on the judge's door, kept asking and asking and asking? He wants us to be that, that woman who just says, I am going to persist persist to hear, for you to hear my request. Is there ever a time when God says, you know, you already prayed about that. You don't need to, I got that wire. Don't bring it up again. Does he ever do that? No. Does he ever want us to do that? No, because the constant bringing of those requests into the presence of God constantly aligns our heart with his purposes and and keeps us in a, in, a, in a relationship of dependence. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. God's will is that we should pray without ceasing. Ephesians 5, 18. Pray, 6, 18. Pray at all times. What does he mean by that? Is that actually possible? He tells us to be responsible at work, Right? Is it responsible for your boss to come in and say, hey, I need that report. Say, I, I appreciate that, but I just need to pray. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it responsible when a student has a term paper due and the teacher says, hey, I need that term paper. You say, you know, but God told me to pray. I was praying. 
Praying at all times and praying without ceasing doesn't mean you're always in a position of having your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and on your knees, and you're thinking about nothing else but God. Praying without ceasing means we're always in an attitude and an environment of prayer, meaning there's never truly an amen for us, meaning you close the prayer. We're always in this this awareness of God, this, this, this reality that he is with us and that it matters. That's what praying at all times means. Communicating at all times. I dare say if you were to take the, the classic experiment, which uh, was really popular I think in the 60s. I saw a, a documentary on this um, where they would take two people and handcuff them together. And you had to do everything together for a week you would probably know if that person was around all the time. And yet, he permanently abides with us. So even though we're not saying, dear Lord, we may be saying, oh, God. Even in a nonverbal way, in the moment of anything, everything we do is in a spirit and attitude of prayer. Um... Trying to narrow this down. What does Jesus teach, by the way, as a requirement for answered prayer? John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you ask, it will be done for you. If you abide in me and I in your word. That kind of goes back to what James says. The fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. If we just check in with God, if we just pray to God only when we're in trouble... And only when we want something, uh, something granted and never out of desire to have fellowship with him, we're missing something important and we have no confidence that God will be inclined to answer that prayer. Think of what that would reinforce. If the only time we came to God is when we needed something from him and he gave it to us, will we ever fellowship with him out of mere love? If the only thing that, the only way we related to him was to get something and he gave it to us, why would we ever come to him because of his greatness and his love. Now, let's ask the question, what about praying according to God's will? First John five fourteen. if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That doesn't mean he doesn't hear us audibly if we, if we pray outside his will. God's omniscient and omnipresent, he hears everything. Here in this uh, uh, verse is he's inclined to respond. He hears us with a favorable audience. So what does it mean to pray according to God's will? Well, I think it means a couple of things. Objectively and subjectively. Objectively, praying according to God's will means praying according to Scripture. This is the objective standard. We don't pray anything outside of God's will. We, we, this is his revealed will. That's, frankly, the easier part of praying according to God's will. The harder part is in areas that are not specifically addressed by a book and chapter and verse. Now, Romans 8, 26 and 27 are going to address that. But it comes to praying for his will, meaning what you want above what I want. Does that remind you of anyone's prayer? The Garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, but yours be done. Now think about this. When Jesus said, not my will, he was saying, my will is to let this cup pass from me. That wasn't even sinful. When we ask according to our will, it's rarely righteous. So we submit ourselves and say, Lord, this is what we think. And as we'll see, or as you saw in Romans, 
the Holy Spirit knows how to bridge that gap. It's important, turn over to Matthew if you have your Bibles. It's important to look at the model prayer that Jesus gave us. You know, I grew up uh, in sports and uh, one of the things that we did before every game was we would recite the Lord's Prayer. Every wrestling match, every track meet, we would recite the Lord's Prayer. And looking back on that now, honestly, I think it was almost like a magic charm. It was the way we kind of did that to make sure God was on our side, not theirs. I actually remember, I was an immature believer, but I was, I remember at a cross-country meet with us getting together and praying and seeing the other team praying and thinking, boy, I I wish they weren't praying. I want God to help us, not them. That's not praying according to God's will, by the way. You know, uh, we can pray all we want for sporting events. Do, Do you think God cares about winning and losing more than he cares about the character of those people who are competing? Unless Tennessee is involved, and then that's another, another issue. Jesus' model for prayer. Please understand that Jesus said, pray like this. He didn't say, just pray this. Right? There's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer, especially if it's done out of humility and out of understanding. But the, 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 this is a model prayer not a liturgical prayer. So let's, let's break it down. He says, pray to God. What does it mean? Our Father who is in heaven. In other words, our prayers are directed to God and God only. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to anybody but God. Nowhere are we commanded to address someone in prayer other than God. No angel, no saint, no person. Our Father who is in heaven. So we pray to God. Another, character, another pattern is uh, uh, exalting him. We put God in his place and us in ours. Hallowed be your name. In other words, your name is holy. Name represents the totality of a, what a person is and who a person, uh, who a person is and how they act. What they're like, hallowed be, holy be your name, not not mine. I want to make sure from the very beginning of this prayer, in other words, that we understand I know who you are and I know who I am. The only hallowed name in this conversation, the only holy name, the only person to be reverenced in this prayerful communication is the Father. Thirdly, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is simply submitting to God. We come to God not to leverage him for our ideas, but to submit to him for his will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I am in this thing called life and this relationship with you for you and your glory, for your greatness, not for me and mine. Give us this day our daily bread, our sustenance, which means looking to him for all we need. Looking to him for all we need. Let me ask you a hard question. In Jesus' world, it it was such a desperate time that Jesus understood that being fed that day was not a given. For a family to eat that day was not a given. No refrigeration, uh, no, no cupboards with canned goods. You pretty much went out that day to get that day's food. So he says, pray that you will eat today. 
Now, some may have. I'm not going to disparage anyone, but how many of us have gotten up in the morning in such a condition that we said, Lord, please feed me today. If you don't, I won't eat. My sustenance will be a miracle granted by you. Just puts you in a category of understanding how, how blessed we are, doesn't it? We thank God for the food at the beginning. But slip this into your prayers. Lord, it's such a blessing to thank you for this food when we didn't even ask you for it. When have you last asked God for food? It's in the prayer. He's already granted that for most of us and we just thank him for it. Do we understand that it is a massive gift? That changes the way we pray at meals, by the way. If you understand this um, uh, request that Jesus wove into this model prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Wow. Depend on me for your sustenance. Look to him, seeking him. Forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It means confession. We're constantly in a place of confessing our sins before the Lord. Forgive us our debts. One of the things that's an interesting study throughout the Gospels is that almost every time, and I say almost because I can't think of a time it's not, almost every time forgiveness is discussed, Jesus always, I think almost always, uses a parable or something, uh, uh, some collateral teaching on money. Not money itself, but the idea of forgiveness is, is illustrated by financial debt. And if you've understood what it's ever like to be in financial debt and to want that relieved, this is what Jesus addresses, that, that feeling of having debt, specifically debt you can't cover, debt you can't pay for. Remember Matthew 19? What an incredible passage. You have this man who has this debt that's overwhelming. He can't pay, in 10,000 lifetimes he couldn't pay it back. And he's forgiven the debt. He's in prison for the debt. He's forgiven the debt. He walks outside the prison and what does he do? He grabs the guy who owes him about 20 bucks and begins to strangle him. And Jesus says, this man doesn't understand forgiveness. And he wasn't talking about finances. He was talking about sin. Just kind of a collateral pull over the car from, for a moment on that. Please, as a believer, please, I would beg you as a believer, never ever, ever have these words crossed from your tongue across your, your teeth. I just can't forgive him. I would never forgive her. Really? You've become that man strangling someone for 20 bucks when you were forgiven $100 million. Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. Be kind. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has, what? Forgiven you. We confess to him. And do not lead us into temptation that's depending on him. What a, what a resource. Do you know where you're weak? Do you know where, you're, where you stumble? Have you asked God not to lead you on that path to, 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 to keep you from areas of sin and temptation? Lead us not into temptation. Don't let me get near the cliff. Deliver us from evil. That means trusting in him and requesting things from him. 
For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It all is about him. A couple of hindrances, by the way. We have to say this before we get into a little four-part area of prayer I think that will be helpful. Psalm 68, 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You can't entertain sin, love sin, pursue sin, and expect that God's going to grant you your requests. Really? That's why we have communion. We let a man examine himself and then take the Lord's table. It becomes a checkpoint where we can make sure that we're confessing and repenting. James 4, 3, you ask with wrong motives, so you spend it on your pleasures. Are we asking God for things only because of selfish reasons? So, there's an old acronym that the FOF book talks about that I think is a helpful way to start. You may have heard of it. It's ACTS, A-C-T-S, ACTS. So, it's kind of a guide when you sit down. ACTS, it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. These are training wheels. This is not the way you need to pray all the time, but it's certainly a way that you can get uh, some traction on your prayer life. It's a way to pray occasionally to make sure you're covering all the bases. Adoration, which means our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. To make sure that we're praising God, praising him for his attributes, his majesty, his gift of grace, his gift of Jesus. To make sure we constantly are debtors to his grace and telling him we know that. Adoring him for his greatness. Make this a part of your Bible study. You see something great about God, stop and say, what a God, what a God. Secondly, confession. That's admitting to God that you know that he knows what you've done. Do we ever confess anything to God and he elbows the angels and say, did you, I didn't see that. that was, did, they did that? He knows everything. So when we confess our sins to God, we're agreeing with his omniscience and omnipresence. I can't tell you how many times that regularly I'm saying, Lord, I know you know this, but, and confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanksgiving, telling God how grateful you are for everything he's given you. Even unpleasant things. In all things give thanks. You know what the Greek word for all things means? All things. You can't hide from it in the Greek language. In all things give thanks. If you can't find anything to be thankful for, let me give you an encouragement. You can tell God, thank you that every, all this suffering, all this unpleasantness, all this pain, this is not permanent or eternal, but you and heaven are. That's the baseline. Being thankful. I think that being thankful is one of the hallmarks of Christian growth and maturity. Mature Christians are thankful Christians. And then lastly, S, A-C-T-S, supplication, which means to make specific requests, pray for others first, pray for yourself. I think it's important to put that last because it's hard to be selfish if you go through those first three uh, um, approaches to God. That's just training wheels. It's just a helpful suggestion. You don't have to do that every time. Sometimes our prayers are short. Help. Never forget uh, I was with my friend Spencer DeBerg. We were uh, outside of Missoula, Montana. It was a snowstorm. We were going down this hill. 
And uh, I just felt like he was probably going a little faster than he should. And I should have said, Spencer, I think you're going a little faster than you should. But before I could do that, he lost control. It was a two-lane highway. And we started skidding right toward an oncoming Mack truck, 18-wheeler. And I prayed out loud, very loud. And all I, my, my knee jerk was just say, Jesus, help. That was all I said. And we barely missed the back, back, uh, the back part of the, um, uh, the, the truck. But the point of that is in, in an instant reflex, sometimes you don't have anything to do except help. And sometimes you have deliberate times of long seasons of prayer. How, how, how are you? I don't say how's your prayer life because I know what you would say. How are you progressing in your prayer? Are you growing in your prayer life? One of the most dramatic lessons to me, and we'll just stop and have some questions here in a minute. I can't get through all of this. One of the most dramatic lessons to me that I ever learned about prayer was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He comes back three times. Remember the disciples, they're asleep. Remember what he asked them? Could you not even pray for one hour? As if praying for hours, no big deal. You, you couldn't even pray for an hour? By the way, that tells us that Jesus was in that state of praying to the point of bleeding for about three hours because he comes back three times. Couldn't even pray for an hour? In Jesus' mind, that's no big deal. Anybody can pray for an hour. How's that going for you? Nothing spiritual, about 60 minutes. I, I, I shared a few weeks ago, I had a prayer class in seminary. We were assigned to pray an hour a day. So I went out to walk that first night at the Burbank track. And before I finished the first lap, which took about five minutes, I was out. I was done. I'd emptied my prayer arsenal. Shocked, shocked. That, that, I mean, that's it? So I was praying for the other people walking around the track. I didn't know. Prayer takes practice. Only practice in prayer will, only persevering in prayer will teach us to pray more and to pray better and to pray deeper. 